It's winter, and you can now get almost anything you need for the coldest months of the year delivered with Uber Eats. What do we mean by almost? Well, you can't get a ski slope delivered, but you can get dish soap delivered. Sunshine, that's a no. But a bottle of wine, that's a yes. A snow angel, sorry, no, but angel hair pasta. Uber Eats can definitely get you that. Get almost, almost anything delivered with Uber Eats. Order now. Alcohol and select markets. Product availability may vary by region. See app for details. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. The legends are true. Overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Donald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Welcome to the Analyst Inside Cricket, looking ahead to the Cricket World Cup and specifically reacting to England's announcement of their official World Cup squad. They've announced today their 15 to compete in the tournament, which of course begins on May the 30th with England's match against South Africa at the Keir Oval. So not long to go now, not long to wait. Uh, it must have been an agonising wait for the likes of David Willey and Joe Denley who missed out in the end. But actually, funnily enough, Simon, I think they might still play a part in the tournament, given that there are nine group games to start with. And then, obviously, if you do well in those, then a semi-final and final to follow. So potentially 11 games in six weeks. You can see, and this sort of goes with your point, that there should be bigger squads than 15. You can see reserves being required. Absolutely. It's it's not the end. It must have been a huge disappointment, especially for David Willey. He's played in 46 of England's 88 matches since the last World Cup. It must have been a huge disappointment. He must have sensed it was coming as well. There's been a lot of talk in the media about you know Willey being potentially one of the casualties. But if England get an injury, what do you do then? Do you do you wait for them to, to get fit and you know play one man down throughout the tournament? You, know, you wait for someone to get fit. You know, say you get injured in the second game, do you wait until the eighth game for them to be fit or do you take a decision and say, we don't think he's going to be fit later in the tournament or we can't afford to go with 14 fit players, bring someone in? So it's always a possibility that a bowler, especially a bowler, could be injured early on in the tournament. It happened to Chris Wokes last time in the Champions Trophy. So, you know, I wouldn't write off uh, David Willis' chances of playing in this World Cup and, and a few of the other fringe players as well. Injuries will happen. Teams will have to replace players. I think England's selectors have got it right. I, I think David Willey was the, the fall guy out of all those 
seem as obviously he's unlucky that in a way that Joffre Archer's come through so well and I think you know it was a sign really of what the England selectors thought of Archer that he he didn't play much in that Pakistan series really he only had to show his uh, skills a couple of times really and everyone was pretty convinced that he has what it takes he's just been able to produce that uh, fantastic pace and that consistency as well I think that the thing about Archer that I think is most impressive never mind the the natural speed and um, the deception is the consistency. He's, he doesn't bowl a bad ball, does he? I mean, there have been a few falls hit off him by the Pakistanis, but they were outstanding shots mostly, uh, principally by Baba Azam, who played some absolutely sublime shots. But hardly any of those falls off Archer were bad balls. I, I, I think in, in all the overs he bowled in that Pakistan series, I counted about three that were genuinely a little bit wide. He's just at batsman all the time. He doesn't bowl half volleys. He doesn't bowl wide. He's, he's, he almost bowls a sort of Glenn McGrath type of line and length. Slight bit of movement back into the right-handers, which I think is more valuable in one-day cricket, actually, than moving the ball away. I mean, I, I found, uh, as a, a fast bowler playing in one-day cricket, I naturally swung the ball away, and it was a disadvantage even then, even in the ancient history when I played. Swinging the ball away, moving the ball away from right-handers gave them natural width to work with, and and these days batsmen are so good at exploiting that you don't need to give them more than half an inch, and they drill it through the offside. So the fact that actually Archer naturally brings the ball back into the right-handers I think is is an asset. Uh, And if you look at the history, somebody like Jimmy Anderson wasn't that good in one-day cricket when he swung it away. Uh, he, he was you know, less effective than somebody who brought it back at the right-handers. So that's definitely in Archer's favour. David Willey, obviously, as I say, as we both said, a little bit unlucky to suffer the cut there. But his potency over the last year or two hasn't been as good as perhaps when he first came into the side, where he found a bit of early swing and moved the ball back into the right-handers and took wickets. The white ball hasn't swung very much over the last... 12 months. I think Willie striving for a bit of extra pace lost that bit of swing that perhaps made him the most dangerous. And I actually felt watching that last one day against Pakistan at Headingley, he bowled those first four overs in the power play, went for 26. They didn't look as if they had much trouble with him, whereas Chris Wokes, the other end, took three for nothing. And, you know, in a way that probably reaffirmed for the selectors that if they want somebody to move the ball around and take early wickets, that man is Wokes rather than Willie. Well, I think Wokes was always going to be, and he was very lucky to get those wickets in, in that headingly match, Chris Wokes. Obviously, he had one caught at slip early on, two uh, marginal LBWs, or one was marginal, one wasn't out. But he got the benefit of the first one and the second one, and, and Pakistan didn't review the second one. So, you know, three for nothing, and then he was on his way. But I always thought Wokes, as long as he was fit, was going to be in that England World Cup party. Absolutely no doubt about that. I think Willie's been struggling to get in that 15 for a long time, ever since it became known that Archer was going to be available. I think England had been minded to pick Archer, and I think I thought for a long time, I thought for a couple of months now, that Willie was the most vulnerable bowler. He bowled really well, though, in Southampton. It's the best I've seen him bowl, I think, for England. In that tight finish against Pakistan at Southampton, he thought, hold on a second, you know, he's got something here. And then after that, one for 86 in Bristol, and then one for 55 from nine overs at Headingley. And he was he got a bit of tap as well from the 10 and 11, which is really frustrating when you're, you're working hard for a World Cup place and 10 and 11 are smacking you around in sort of meaningless fashion, really, because the game was already won at Headingley. You know, it, it must have been really frustrating for him. And, you know, there was a bit of chunter 
monitoring going on out there as well. I mean, I do feel sorry for Willie. You know, as Owen Morgan has said, as Ed Smith has said, you know, no one deserves to be left out. But, you know, you've got to fit them all into that wretched 15-man squad that we've been talking about for quite a long time now. Yeah, it's vexed. It's vexed you for ages, hasn't it? And you, you've been losing sleep over that. Uh, <laughs> and the other thing, I mean, you know, unfortunately, it's a, it's a, a rather um, revealing stat, really, that, that Willie has taken six wickets in the power play for England since the 2017 Champions Trophy at an average of 66. You know, and for a guy who's been brought in really to take those early wickets in that first 10 over slot, when hopefully, if there's any movement, that's the time to get it. Those stats are, are, are a bit of a giveaway, whereas Wokes has been taking his wickets in the power play at 23. So, uh, you know, I know they weren't in competition for a place, but if, if, if England needed any reassurance that Wokes has still got some penetration, I think that was uh, certainly proved in that, that final match at uh, Headingley. And um, actually reassuring for, for Wokes himself too, who has had a, a slightly interrupted winter with injury and wanted to, you know, reaffirm his own potency and, and he definitely did that at Headingley. For the other uh, choice, uh, Denley uh, losing his spot there to Liam Dawson. I, mean, I think that, that makes a lot of sense as well. Uh, mm. Joe Denley, you know, he's a good cricketer, obviously, and hasn't really taken his chance, I wouldn't say. I mean, if someone, if he'd managed to get a sort of brilliant 60 or 70 not out in that last match in the run chase or maybe in one of the earlier games, they would have had to sit up and, and take notice of him. But James Vince has probably done a bit more and he's probably a bit more experienced at, at opening the batting in the case of, say, Roy or Bairstow being injured or maybe rested for a game. You feel perhaps a little bit more confident that Vince has got that bit more pedigree and a bit more experience. And, and the other thing is, I mean, Denley probably was looked at as a potential third spinner, but I think if, if Rashid's injured, I wouldn't be playing Denley. I'd definitely be playing somebody like Dawson instead. Yeah, I, I think absolutely right. You you need a, a sort of frontline spinner, really. I mean, Dawson is not that experienced. He's only played three one-day internationals. His last game was in uh, Dambulla when he was injured. He had to go home with a side strain, had to miss the rest of that Sri Lanka tour. He's been in very good form in the one-day cup, though. And people say, you know, why is, you know, why is Dawson in the squad? Well, 18 wickets in the one-day cup for Hampshire. They've got to the final. He's also batted well. He's averaged 45. And Denley... He's only played four one-day internationals since his recall. He was a bit of a, you know, a bit of an Ed Smith uh, hunch, really, or perhaps more than that. That's not really being fair to to Ed because I know he, he looks into these things very deeply and very closely. Uh, hasn't quite worked out. He had that one really good spell in Colombo in the 2020 international when he took four for 19 and was man of the match. That's only one real standout performance since his recall. Uh, Joe Denley. So, you know, when it came down to it, and if, if England do need to replace Moen Ali or Rashid, say, on the day or, you know, the day before a match on a pitch that might turn, then really you, you know, you probably want someone a bit more of a banker like Liam Dawson. That's not to say that Denley actually couldn't turn up and, and you know, and, and be really effective because he could, if, even if it was his day. But, you know, it's that sort of weight of evidence, really. It's, it's, it's that judgment call. And it's obviously gone in Liam Dawson's favour. So, you know, Tough decisions have to be made. As I said, you know, who knows where this is going to go? Um, it could well be that players who are not in the squad at the, at the start might well be in the squad, you know, at the start, halfway through or towards the end. And, and... 
One more little point about uh, Willie is that a few people might be commenting that this uh, leaves England without a left-arm yeah, seamer. Yeah, I mean, and that, yeah. left-arm seamers, of course, have been in vogue, haven't they, for the last few years as a, a, a vers- an alternative uh, angle which right-handed batsmen in particular have less ability to hit to leg. I mean, that, that was the original reason why left-arm over bowlers were so effective, especially in the IPL, perhaps in the, the first few years, were because... That, that angle made it harder for, for right-handed batsmen to hit to leg because of their natural angle across towards the offside. But I think over time, certainly in the last year or two, left-arm over bowlers have, have fallen a little bit out of favour in the, the sort of IPL-type tournaments. They haven't been as effective as they were perhaps five, six years ago, because I think two things, batsmen have become more versatile, and secondly, the white balls have swung not at all, whereas at least they did a little bit perhaps two or three years ago, but flattish seams and the uh, the lack of real quality leather on those kookaburra white balls just means they do absolutely nothing for the left arm over bowlers now, which means they create natural width for the right-handers and they get pummeled. Yeah, a couple of things there. I mean, the the day after Pakistan named three left-arm pace bowlers in their squad for the World Cup, England removed theirs from their party in a sort of slightly perverse situation. My feeling about this is you you can't just have a left-armer because you want a left-armer. You've got to have your best bowlers. And I think the judgment call is is that England's right-arm bowlers are going to be more effective than you know their one left arm bowlers played quite a lot I and mean, that that's their judgment call plunkett wood curran and and wokes i think was a shoe in anyway you know they feel they are better options they're just better bowlers uh, you know there's not much between them but they're just better bowlers so you you don't go for a left armer just because you want a different angle of attack you go you, you go for your best bowlers and i think that's you know, the sort of ultra-pragmatic choice that England have made. I mean, there's been quite a lot of comment. People say, oh, you need a left arm. You've got to have a left arm. In Australia, have got Mitchell Stark. Pakistan have got three of them. Um, you know, I don't think that argument holds up. And I think that's, you know, that is the the, the argument that's carried weight. You don't necessarily need a left arm. I, I see I see David Willey sort of like a, a very handy bowler rather than, a, you know, an absolute must. And you, you could look at the others and say they've just got a bit more on him. Just to recap on, on the other bowling choices, I mean, Mark Wood, I think, was, was the right choice as well. He's come back into the one-day side recently, both in the West Indies and Pakistan series, and he's been bowling there at 94 miles an hour or something. So he definitely gives England that, that extra cutting edge, and he doesn't seem to bowl too many loose balls either. So Archer and Wood together, whether they'll actually play together, I'm not sure, but that is that the fastest uh, one-day attack, I think, that England probably have ever had. So uh, that's exciting. And then Plunkett and Curran... Plunkett, since the 2015 World Cup, has taken 85 wickets at 28, uh, mostly bowling in the middle overs, of course. Uh, economy rate of under six. So it just uh, he's got the, the wicket-taking knack, and he has that very calm, composed, almost Selavi sort of approach to bowling in those difficult periods where there's only four men allowed out on the boundary. It's a tough time to bowl, but he handles it all very manfully. And I think the same I'd say about Tom Curran, who hasn't quite got the pace of, of Plunkett or Wood or, or Archer, but he just he's at the batsman all the time. Very rarely bowls a bad ball. He's got a, a really sort of competitive edge, a sort of winning kind of mentality. And plus he's played some valuable little innings as well recently. So you feel of Curran and Willie, you know, Curran is the sort of coming man, the emerging force, mm. whereas Willie's perhaps a fading force. 
Yeah, and that's that's true, isn't it, Tom Curran? He's played 17 one-day internationals. He made his debut in, in 2017, so a couple of years after David Willey. I mean, one of the things you think about, you know, getting that right mix at the right time for a World Cup, I think, you know, with players like Curran and even Sam Curran as well and Jofra Archer, you'd love it if they'd had another two more years of international experience. I think Sam Curran would, you know, would have been you know, two, two years down the line, would have been a... a, a further in his international career than say someone like David Willey uh, but you can't have everything can you because I mean that would exclude players sort of towards the back end of their career people like Owen Morgan who's you know who's very experienced you, you can't have everyone peaking at the same time in terms of you know age and international experience but Curran you know has, has taken his chance and I've been really impressed with him in this one day series almost as much for his, his batting actually and there's just something about the Currans we, we've talked about this before on this podcast there, there's something about them they're they, they, they've got it, haven't they? And uh, you know, Tom Curry, I don't know how much he'll play in the World Cup. He'll, I'm sure he'll play a part. But if he is called upon, you, he's the sort of cricketer you you feel might respond, a, you know, a bit like his brother. But you know, how you'd love it if they were two further years down the line in terms of their cricketing careers. And, and you know, and as I say, also the same for Archer. And just going back to Archer, actually, he's only bold. 26 international overs and he's in the World Cup squad and that's why I think actually they just wanted to check it he was okay that you know that he could deal with international cricket I don't think there's any doubt he was going to um, because I, I think they looked at him in the big bash they looked at him in the IPL and thought this is a pedigree cricketer and if we've got the chance to get him in our World Cup squad we've absolutely got to take it but I mean he's not at the peak of his career I mean, he's he's 24 you know he's got he's got more to come uh, just a question of whether he's able to sort of produce it in the World Cup at this stage of his career and you know lots of England supporters and that team and the selectors and coaching staff will be desperately hoping he does and it backs up what both uh, Ben Stokes has said on this program and also the uh, Rajasthan Royals coach Zubin Baratia as well who both said best fast bowler they've ever seen uh, and he's been proving that in even just in the f- few overs that he's bowled Overall, England, what a team they've become. 4-0, wiped the floor with Pakistan in that short series. Uh, An amazing record over the last four years since that 2015 World Cup. What's what's their record, Simon? They have played 88 matches since the last World Cup. They've won 58 of them. They've lost 23. They've tied one and there have been six no results due to the the good old weather, like at the Oval at the start of the Pakistan series. So it's a very impressive record. They won 58 out of 88 matches. Uh, they've had the odd slip on the way. You know, you, you think of Scotland, you think of the absolute thrashing they took in Sri Lanka at the end of the the tour, the series they'd already won. You think of a couple of defeats in the West Indies. Uh, they lost in New Zealand a, a couple of times. They lost to India a couple of times. But actually, I thought that India series, the last time they lost a series was in India a couple of years back. And actually, for the first time, mm, yeah. I've been to India a lot. I've seen every single England one-day international in India this century. And for the first time, they looked really competitive in a series in India. So that tells you that they are, you know, they are a, you know, clearly a strong side and a, and a massively improving side. And they are, you know, rightly among the favourites for the World Cup. Uh, we've talked about this a lot. Well, you know, they're five it, to two, actually. Yeah, they're five, they're five to two favourites now, um, with India three to one. 
and Australia four to one. So those three really are far ahead of the rest. I think New Zealand are fourth favourites at 10 to 1. Uh, England's win record, I've just calculated that after the stats that you gave us there, and their win ratio is 66%, which is the highest of any country since the 2015 World Cup. And actually, what, what's been good about their performances, say, in that Pakistan series, the, the batsmen, the top four batsmen averaged, I think, 73 The lowest score of those top four players in all the games against Pakistan was 32, Johnny Bairstow. So they all got runs, they all got some time in the middle and and made their presence really felt. And the other thing, apart from their batting strength, and we haven't even mentioned Joss Butler and that astonishing 100 he made in 50 balls, but the other thing has been their fielding. Mm. Uh, I mean, some of that fielding in that last game, the way they pulled off a couple of run-outs... Adil Rashid taking a taking a diving one-handed catch. I mean, Adil Rashid can have has been a bit of a weak link in the fielding setup over the last few years, but he's really improved. He took that sharp one-handed catch, a caught and bowled, and he also pulled off that amazing run out with Joss Butler doing a very very sharp bit of work, picking the ball up at short square leg throwing it off balance a little bit wide, and then Rashid, calm as you like, little underarm flick, a backhanded flick, and onto the stumps and, and, and did a run-out. So I think you know that, that is another area that, that England's... Bayliss, Trevor, Trevor Bayliss, when he first took over the, the England side in the Test Series, actually initially he was working on fielding, but that's been a, a big emphasis for him over the last couple of years, and it's really paying dividends. I mean, there, there is no weak link in that team now, certainly in the field. Now you look at actually the contrast between the two sides, Pakistan and England in that series, and, and the, the gulf in, in fielding between the two sides I think was the biggest of all. You know, you compare batting against batting, bowling against bowling. It was the fielding. That was the massive difference. Uh, Pakistan sloppy. They caught a few good catches actually towards the end of the series, but England's high standard throughout you know, was a major factor in them winning that series because there were a couple of tight matches and even just in microcosm uh, you know right towards the end when England were you know it was just a question of taking the last wicket there was a ball driven out to Ben Stokes on the boundary and he haired round stopped it knocked it back inside the rope got up inside the rope is is a fantastic piece of fielding from Stokes and he he is a player who uh, you know it leads that England fielding uh, effort really, I mean, a, a brilliant fielder. We saw him took that amazing catch in the IPL at, at, at backward point. Wherever he is, you know he's he is a wonderful fielder, and he sort of leads by example. Um, so th- they've certainly got that base covered. Is it is it going too well for England, <laughs> Simon, with the World Cup just well, around the corner? You know, no, I, that's that's a good question. Uh, I, I don't think it can ever get, go too well, really. But I think uh, what it feels like to me is the same sort of uh, sense of inevitability that it had uh, when I remember the England rugby team preparing for the 2003 World Cup in Australia. And I actually spent a bit of time with uh, some of those players, particularly Matt Dawson, actually, uh, in the build-up to that 2003 World Cup. And England at the time uh, had beaten Australia, they'd beaten New Zealand, they'd beaten South Africa in those home internationals before the World Cup, and they were looking very powerful. But I just remember sort of hanging around one or two of those players, and it became... It became there was this sort of abstinence about their attitude. They all going to bed very early, and there was no drinking for about sort of three or four months or something before that tournament. I think they sensed it was their time. Mm. They sensed that if they really put everything into this effort, they would do it because they'd had such a, a run of performances. They'd had such consistency. They had such an immense 
squad of players as well. And they were all working together for this one goal, this 2003 World Cup, which, of course, they achieved. And, I mean, they only achieved it by the skin of their teeth, but they did actually get there. They got them over the line. And I think there was this deep self-belief and this deep sense of uh, this is our moment now, almost a sort of fatalistic kind of approach in that squad. And I think that England, this England cricket team have got the same. Yeah, well, the, the only thing I would say about that is their bowling is a bit vulnerable. Even with the inclusion of, of Jofra Archer, their bowling's a bit vulnerable. So there's no, you know, I don't think there's any room for supporters to be complacent. It's not like, you know, when those Australian sides used to go to the World Cup, you know, I think you thought, oh, they, they're going to win this. 2007 in the West Indies, they look, you know, they look really strong. Uh, 99, not quite the... The same, but 2007 in the West Indies, you know, that was the tournament where you thought, yeah, we know who the winners are going to be almost. I don't think it's quite like that with England because of the, the vulnerability in their bowling attack. But, you know, they've done as much as they possibly can do. They're in as good a position, I think, as they can possibly be in and it, it sort of just feels now we've been building up to it for so long waiting waiting we've enjoyed England's performances over the last four years it's like come on bring it on now Let, let's see if you can do it when it really matters in the in the, in the World Cup I mean the, the tournament format of course uh, I think plays into the hands of the stronger sides because there's sort of less room for that sort of one-off uh, mistake uh, and, and then you're out of the tournament early on uh, you know the nine matches in, in the group stage that the, the cream should rise to the top and then it then comes down to that you know that semi-final or final if they were to get there mm, I mean you know two little points there one is you say that England's bowling is vulnerable everybody's bowling is vulnerable the way yeah. that batsmen strike the ball now so I think England are in as good a state attack wise as, as they can be the only thing I think that could upset them is if somebody like Rashid got injured uh, I think Rashid is a key person whereas any of the other bowlers probably are replaceable I don't think he is so that would be a, a, a real downer if for some reason Rashid got injured early on and, and, was uh, and Ed Smith has been talking Simon Ed Smith has been talking uh, today about you know Rashid just got a little twinge in his right shoulder you know another the reason why Liam Dawson a third spinner was called into the squad so it may be they're going to have to nurse Rashid a little bit through the tournament if it is a you know a, a serious problem so you know that you're, you're right to point that out absolutely Rashid is, is such a key bowler to them and he is he is just about irreplaceable. Mm. And the other thing is, is that England, you say, you know, are they sort of almost peaking too early? Well, they've had a couple of little tiny issues with those matches, one against Pakistan and obviously that game against Ireland as well, where they collapsed and suddenly, you know, some people lower down the order had to fight their way through. Now, England, perhaps a year or so ago, might have lost those games, but the, the strength, the resilience that they've got, the depth they've got now has enabled them to still win those matches, even when they haven't played all that well. So I think, you know, we, we haven't yet seen the best of this team. Well, that's a big call. That is a, it's a really big call. Um, I don't know if that's the case or not. I mean, they've certainly had a, you know, a wonderfully consistent time of it over the last uh, four years with the old hiccup here and there, the old, you know, really surprising uh, defeat. But you, you look at that side, you look at that top order, Roy and Bairstow and Root and Morgan and Stokes and Butler. I mean, that is a, you know, it's a really strong top six. Um, fascinating to see if England were 30 for four against somebody, uh, whether, you know, they could cobble together a score, then the bowlers would better 
dig them out of a difficult situation. I think that, that would be my one thought. If they were to stumble early on with the batting, not quite get the score that they're looking for, and then do they have the bowlers to, to drag themselves back into the game? That's the, that's the only thing. So who are you going for then for, the, for this World Cup? Who, who are your top four for the semi-finals? Probably, as the odds have it, I, I think England, Australia, India, and then moot call between New Zealand and South Africa. I actually fancy South Africa for that fourth spot, but uh, the, the bookies are saying New Zealand. What about you? Uh, well, like you with the top three, because of the format of the competition, because I think that you know, the, the cream will rise to the top, or should do in a, in, a, in, a, in a league format. You look at any league format, you know, generally speaking, you know, the best teams are at the top. You think of a cup competition then you know, that can be a bit random as well, although that didn't, of course, translate into the uh, English football season where Manchester City were the best team and then won the Cups as well. Uh, so I think the top three, India, England and Australia, not sure what order, but they'll, they'll be in that top four. And then I really, really don't know. Uh, it, could, it could be New Zealand or South Africa. I, my, there's a, the romantic part of me. Could be West Indies. Well, the romantic part of me hopes it's West Indies and Bangladesh. Mm. Uh, I mean, I, I love watching the West Indies play and they'll do some damage somewhere along the way. And, and Bangladesh, you know, they got to the semi-finals of the Champions Trophy last time. Asian teams have done quite well in competitions in England because of the pitches. And that's a factor as well. It's been very dry. Uh, you know, I think that the, the tendency to make you know, quite dry pitches under the ICC guidelines, which, you know, which could help the spinners. So, and, you know, and if it does help the spinners, then you know, subcontinental teams uh, come into it. I think so. You know, possibly Bangladesh, but uh, you know, logic tells you, yeah, yes, South Africa, yes, uh, New Zealand. But I think the only two teams that can't win it, the only two teams that can't really get to the last four, are Sri Lanka and Afghanistan. Okay, well, you heard it here. Uh, The warm-up matches uh, will be underway shortly, and England have two, actually. One against Australia on Friday at the Aegeus Bowl, and then another one on Monday against Afghanistan at the Keir Oval. And then it all starts for real next Thursday at the Keir Oval with England against South Africa. And we're going to be bringing you regular podcasts, looking back at matches and looking at the tournament as a whole, analysing individual games. So we're really looking forward to that, as I'm sure everybody is and actually we can't wait absolutely really looking forward to it let's hope the weather plays ball so thanks for listening and we'll see you next week sports social podcast network with lucky landslots you can get lucky just about anywhere dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom sorry sorry we're here we were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time (gasps) no lucky land casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry in that case i pronounce you lucky Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.